Well, good morning and welcome to Friends Church on this beautiful sunny morning we've come to worship together. And of course, today we celebrate something special. Today we celebrate a great event, and we've been celebrating it over the last few days, and it is this, Johnny Football is coming to Cleveland. Yeah, I know, some groans, some moans, some cheers. Uh, yeah, Johnny Football's coming to Cleveland, but uh, obviously that's not what we're celebrating this morning. I just want to say Happy Mother's Day to each one of you. Happy Mother's Day, uh, mothers, and just welcome everybody. You know, um, my mom is uh, uh, not able to be here today, and certainly when I think of people that have influenced my life, my parents have been uh, significant, and, and my mom especially. And she can't be here, but through the modern technology Probably this week she will be able to watch, and that's kind of neat. So I, if you don't mind, I have a little message. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Love you. So uh, hopefully she'll get a chance to see that this week. And hopefully you, if your mom's around, you can, you can do the same uh, to them today and the next this week and tell them how much you appreciate them and how much you love them. But I was thinking as I thought about her and thought about my dad and thought about other people that had had a tremendous impact and influence on my life, the names start going through and I start thinking of people. But um, a few weeks ago, if you were here, you heard me tell the story of the Steer Clan of Damascus, Ohio. And that Steer Clan existed, especially on the men's side, was my grandfather and his brothers, who in my mind ran the town. And, and certainly they were men of reputation, certainly a man of, man, men of status, at least for a little town. And they were, they were dignified and honest men. In fact, in 1999, I was asked by my firm that I was with at the time to go back home to Salem, Ohio, and to go to the accounting office there to replace a retiring partner. And I remember going in and sitting in my office and as the, my new clients would come in to meet with me, it would seem like anybody that was, you know, 50 or older or 60, that age, they would sit across from me and they would look at me and they'd say, Steer, that's a good name. <laughs> that's a good name. And I like to hear that. It's better than hearing Ooh, steer, you know, that type of thing. It's, it's yeah, there's a good name. And they, because they had, they, had had, they had left a legacy. And, they, and they, were, they were good men. And my grandpa and his brothers, they, they were men of influence. But they did not have together the fraction of the influence in my life that another person had. It was a person we called Granny. She was my Aunt Elizabeth, my great Aunt Elizabeth. This picture was taken at my parents' wedding. You see, Granny was the sister to the boys, to Ralph and Ted and Frank. And she was a nurse. In fact, she was the city nurse of, of Salem. But she was more than that. Uh, she was Elizabeth Steer, later Elizabeth Stacy. But she became widowed at a very young age, so she never had children. She was never a mother. But as the story goes, my grandmother took ill also at a very early age and was unable to take care of the six children that her and my grandfather had had. And so she was out of the home and my grandfather was left with six children. And so he took care of the oldest six, or the oldest four, the oldest four. And they would help him and he was a nurseryman and he taught them work and he taught them a lot of good values, but not really the values of church and Christ and some of those important things. Granny, or Aunt Elizabeth, was a dignified woman. 
You can see that in the picture. She is a woman of status in my, pick, in my view. She was a woman of combination of no nonsense, but yet could laugh and have a good time. When she would teach you things like being respectful and being honest and being in church. In fact, I can remember many, many times going down to her house. She lived five houses down for us. So I could ride my bike down and be down at Granny's. We'd go down and we'd spend you know, those nights and overnight and have just a great time. But I remember if I got mouthy or if I didn't obey or something like that, she would take the earlobe and she would yank and she would pull me through around. And I'm, I swear to say, I don't know how my earlobes aren't about a foot long you know, from her tugging on it and, 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 and doing those things. But, uh, but she taught me things about respect, but more than that, she taught me about Jesus. And I remember, I'll never forget, I can always remember her sitting there and about four or five rows from the front of the church in the middle with the other single women. And she'd be there. She'd be there Sunday after Sunday. She'd be there when the church doors opened and she'd be an example to us. She was leaving a legacy of faith. And I can tell you this morning, it is only because of that legacy that I'm here. It's that legacy that she left that is far more important to me than the, than the status of the f- men who were in that community. Now, some of those served the Lord and they went on and, and did some wonderful things, but her, her impact on me was unmeasurable, unmeasurable. I got to thinking more about that this week and the legacy of faith that we leave and people maybe that's had an influence on your life and I got to think in that same year, 1999, when I moved my office back down to Salem, there was a book that was written by Bruce Wilkinson, and it's called Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. And in this book, he talks about how, how we can go through in, in different areas of our life, in family, at work, and, and different things we can break through spiritually. But he starts off with an illustration. And it's an illustration of three chairs. And I have three chairs up here this morning to follow up and to give you a vivid look at this illustration. And the illustration would say, the premise is that everyone in this room, everyone in the worship center, everyone around the world today sits in one of these three chairs. This morning, whether you know it or not, you are in one of these three chairs. And so I think it behooves us to take a look at what these chairs may be. This first chair, the first chair here, it would be, let's see, to my right, that makes it what, your left, yes. To your left, this is a chair of what I would call saved people. Saved peoples, people who are giving their life to Christ. But it's more than that, this is a chair of commitment. This is a chair of people who says, not only am I saved, but I have fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we have some, some words for these people. We say they, they know God. These are people who just don't, have not heard, have not just been saved to get, out of a, uh, to get out of hell or anything like that, but they have a personal relationship with God. Another word or for phrase we may use is a first-hand faith. These are people who are not living out somebody else's faith, but they say, this is my faith. In fact, I thought about this this week because I was thinking over and over again of the sermon we heard last Sunday from Pastor Kevin. And in fact, we're going to pick up right there. We're going to pick up right there, right now, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, if you have your Bibles. Some of the words will be on the screen too as we go. But... 
in Joshua, we see someone who has said, I am a first chair Christian. Now, he may not have used those words, but we'll see the words that he uses here in chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua, as you recall, had called together the assembly of Israel for his farewell speech. Joshua was up in years. They had conquered the promised land and they had moved in and it was a good time in the kingdom of Israel. But he says this, verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly, get that. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord and the Lord alone. But, get that, but, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was saying, a first chair Christian, which I am, by the way, me and my family, we will serve the Lord. A first chair Christian serves the Lord wholeheartedly. Everything about us serves God. God is not just something else in our lives. God is our life. He is the center of our lives. And in fact, we think about some of the things that a first chair Christian, first chair Christian is not just saved. A first chair Christian goes beyond salvation. A first chair Christian is surrendered to the authority of God. God, whatever you want, I will do it. A first chair Christian knows God personally. As we mentioned before, as a, has a first hand faith. They own it. They own it. This is my faith. A first chair Christian is submitted to God. That's obedience. I obey God. What you say, Lord, I will do. A first chair Christian reads their Bible. A first chair Christian is those who say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go in the house of the Lord, even if Pastor Steve's preaching. You know, yeah. That's when I know a first chair Christian. I don't care who's preaching. I'm glad the doors are open. We're going to sing. We're going to praise. I want to be there. That's a first chair Christian. A first chair Christian prays and stuff happens. There's answers to prayer. A first chair Christian says, I am going to live for Christ. In fact, I think in that last phrase of Joshua, what he's saying there is a very key word. It's serve. He said, I and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've noticed something, kind of a common thread, common thread among people who are first chair Christians. They take on a servant's heart. I am no longer in charge. Christ, you are in charge. I'm submitted to the first chair. I'm committed to the first chair. In fact, first chair sitters, this common thread, look at Josh, Judges chapter 2.8. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. Look at Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Look at James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You know a servant-master relationship? When the master says go, a servant goes. When the master says stay, a servant stays. When the master says jump, a servant says how high. Yes. It's a heart that says I will do 
what you want me to do. That is the first chair Christian. I will go. I will be. I will do. I will serve you because it's my faith. It's personal. I have committed my life to Christ. I will live for you. I will do what you want me to do. And it's a commitment. It's a commitment that we just maybe don't see a lot of today. It's a commitment that at times seems a bit rare. You know, a first chair Christian's not perfect. Joshua wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Granny was not perfect. But she was a first chair Christian. She was the first chair sitter that owned her faith, who passed that on to my parents, who owned their faith, who passed it on to me. First chair commitment is what Christ is calling us to. But there's another chair. This chair is a second chair. The second chair is a chair that we might refer to as the chair of compromise. There are other words we might use to describe this. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. This is a Christian, brothers, but they've taken on a worldly tint to their lives. In fact, the King James Version, I believe it is, says carnal. And it's a word that we use, that we understand maybe is, is somebody who, who hasn't fully surrendered. They've compromised. There is a lot of people sitting in this second chair. And after Joshua passes, in fact, Judges 1.1 says after Joshua died, and he does. And what happens is, is sometimes the first chair sitters are those people that have been in our lives for many, many years. And they go away. And our second chair sitters at times, while these people knew God, we know of God. Second chair sitters know of God. And it's a secondhand faith. It's a secondhand faith. These people, they've seen all the things that God does. They've been in church and they know that. They've been around and they've observed, but it's not theirs. They haven't owned it. And if you look, you see this perfectly laid out in Judges. Right after Joshua dies, Judges chapter 2, verse 7 says this, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. This is, this is the body of elders that has surrounded Joshua. And it says here, they've seen. Notice that word seen. They've observed. But it's not Personal. They sat in the second chair and they've seen all the things that God has done. They've seen him work in Joshua. They've seen the work of God and the power of his spirit through Joshua. But it hasn't been something that's been real to them. Oh, it's been nice to enjoy. It's been nice to be part of. But we see what happens. Second chair compromise. Judges 1, 19. You might remember, they were to clean out the promised land. They were to drive out everybody from the promised land because God knew, God knew that the people that were left there would try to turn their hearts from the Lord. But look at Judges 1.1. The Lord was with the people of Judah and they took possession of the hill country. 
But, ah, that word again, but. But they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. Now, do you really think iron chariots are too tough for God? I mean, he took down the wall of Jericho. He could split the Red Sea. He could do, he could do anything. He could lead them into battle. Is a few iron chariots really that tough? Well, it is. It is if you've compromised. It is if you aren't fully surrendered. It is if you're not trusting God completely. In fact, it goes on and says, verse 21, the tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites. 27, the tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people in Bashan. 29, the tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. The tribe of Zebulun failed to live out, drive out the residents of, of Kitron and Nahal. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Acho. Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemeth and Bethanath. And then it goes on in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgad to Bochum and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into the land that I swore for your ancestors. I said I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. But you disobeyed my command. They took the easy way out, the compromise out, the way out. They took the way of less commitment, of less challenge. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. The second chair people, the second chair sitters, know of God, but they don't really know God. And so when it comes time for their faith to be challenged, they compromise. Instead of seeking the kingdom of God first, they seek the kingdom of self, the kingdom of money and God. The kingdom of family and God. The kingdom of sports and God. The kingdom of status and God. The kingdoms on and on and on and God. And, and, and compromise. We obey when it's convenient, but if it's not convenient. We obey when it's easy, but if it's not easy. But because of a lack of commitment, the commitment of the first chair, there's a compromise of the second chair. The scary part about this is it's really hard to identify the difference between a first chair and a second chair. We could have first chair people in this room and first chair, second chair Christians in this room and you can't tell them apart at all. We look the same, we can talk the same because a second chair Christian is saved. They, they know all about God. They've been around God and they've been around, it's second hand enough that they picked up the lingo but it's not personal. In fact, Jesus points out these people in Matthew 15. He says this, you honor me with your lips. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I think Jesus would say, you know, you come in and you sing the songs nicely and you pray and you greet people all great. Good morning. Uh, how, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, praise the Lord and, and God is good and, and say good prayers and all those things. He says, you honor me with your lips. You know what to say, but your heart your heart isn't committed to me. Paul picks that up in 2 Timothy 3. He says, there's, there's these people, they have a form of godliness. 
a form of godliness. We go through the motions, but we lack its power because it's not firsthand. It's not committed. Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 3 said, you know the second chair? They're not hot. They're not cold. They're lukewarm. And what do you do with a lukewarm cup of tea? You spit it out. He says, I would rather you be hot or cold. I want you in the first chairs where I want you, not in the second chair. We use another term, hypocrite. Jesus used this a few times. A people who claimed to know Christ and, and, would, and would honor him in their words, but in their deeds, they wouldn't. Finally, there's a third chair. You may have guessed what the third chair is. The third chair is what we would call unsaved or the natural man, Paul would say. But it's, it's a chair of conflict and this conflict is against God because we haven't surrendered to God and we're constantly doing battle with him. And this person does not know God and maybe he doesn't care to know God. And in fact, we see that in the very next verses of Judges, Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in the sight, Lord's sight, and served the images of Baal. Do you see the downward, downward spiral? There's the spiral starting, it starts with the people, Joshua, who has been committed, who has who who said, I will serve the Lord, my house, we will serve the Lord. Then there's the elders who said, Joshua, we saw those great things you did, and that was wonderful, but you know, we'll, we're, we're going to do what's comfortable, we're going to do what's convenient, we're going we're to live life the way you know, that's, that, that works for us. But, but yeah, we love God. And then finally along comes the next generation. And it says... It says, they did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty works that he had done. That's the third chair. And this morning, each of us, we sit in one of these chairs. You know, this principle isn't just here. You find this principle in a couple places in the Old Testament, but real quickly, I want to show you one family. One family. You know who another first chair sitter was? His name was David. You remember King David? Wrote more than half the Psalms. King of Israel. Listen to what Acts 13.22 says of David. For God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to a first chair sitter, the obedience, a servant. He will do everything I want him to say, do. He will, he will, he's a man after my own heart. David, you're a first chair man, bravo. And David writes these beautiful psalms and David serves the Lord. David's not perfect. David makes mistakes. But David gets on his knees and he cries out to God and says, God, forgive me, restore me. That's a first chair Christian. A first chair person who says, I'm obedient to God and I'll do what he wants me to do. But you know, a first chair Christian has a responsibility to pass that on to their, to their children, to the people that they're working with, to the people in their spheres of influence. 
But there's a second chair. And that second chair has another king, a son of David. David had a son. He was a promising son. He had a promising start. His name was Solomon. But listen to these words in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 6. Now Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Eden, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Compromise, compromise. In Solomon's old age, he turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely, look at that word completely, completely faithful to the Lord as his God his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. David, the first chair sitter, would do anything that God asked him to do. But Solomon, his second chair son, it was secondhand faith. He saw God working in David's life, but God was not working in his life in the same way because he was compromised and because he would not follow the Lord completely, completely, fully surrendered a servant. He compromised. Then there's the uh, third chair. We go from David, first chair, Solomon's second chair. And we see the sad story of the third chair. The third generation. The children of one who was compromised. The child of one who was compromised. Chronicles, first Chronicles 12.1 says this. But when Rehoboam, Get that name right. And that's the grandson of David, the son of Solomon. When he was firmly established and strong, he abandoned the laws of the Lord. And all Israel followed him. See the downward spiral? We see it first in a nation. We see a nation whose leader was committed to God. But there was no one to step into that role after he left. And so we were left with people who knew about God. But he didn't know God. And now we have a group of people who know not God. They do not know God. They're stuck in unbelief. We see it in the lives of a family. We see David. What more of an example could you have? You know, Jesus came through the lineage of David. An example for everybody. But his son Solomon said, I see that example, but I don't choose that. I watch it, I'll see it, but I'm not going to make it mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dabble in it, but I'm going to dabble in the world. And we see the results. 
of Rehoboam. Sad. I want to talk and close a little bit with this chair. It's what I call the allure of the second chair. I don't know if anybody else here watches the Food Channel. I, I, I like to watch the Food Channel, which is really strange because I can do microwave popcorn and I can burn stuff on the grill. And that's about it. But I enjoy watching the Food Channel. And I remember a show that I like to watch is Restaurant Impossible where uh, Robert Irvine goes in and he takes a restaurant that's been failing and he redoes it and tries to make it something new. And I just remember one show because he was in there and he was going over the menu with those folks and he got to the, to the desserts and there was, a, there was an item on that dessert menu that was kind of going to be the signature item. It was already a popular item and as Robert does, he goes in and makes some tweaks to it and he's going to make it the best they had. But it was also the most expensive something like $6. And he says, you know what? People won't buy it. But if you put something out there that's $9, then they're going to focus on the $6 item. He says, there's something about people. He said, we, we, we don't want the most attractive, the most expensive, the most radical. But we don't want the cheapest. We don't want the, what, it's probably not any good if it's only $3 but I can't afford this or I won't commit to this. I want this middle of the road. And I call it, maybe it's the attraction of the middle of the road. He says, so I don't even care if you never sell one of these. You could price it at $15 if you want. It doesn't have to sell. What's the key is, you've got an item that's more expensive, a item that's less expensive. You've got this middle of the road, comfortable, achievable, less commitment, dessert. And I think that's as Christians sometimes we look at this in the same way and I say, there's these radicals, there's these people in the first chair who are totally committed to God. They surrender to Him. When He says, jump, they jump. They pray, they're glad to come to church, they're excited. They see miracles happen in their lives. But that's a little too radical. I see these folks out here who are uh, blaspheming God and, and, you know, there might be atheists here, there might be agnostics, there might be people just oblivious. They don't care. But I like the comfort of the middle chair. I like the comfort of being able to choose what days and when I serve God and when I serve self and when I serve money and when I serve family and when I serve sports and those things. The middle road chair, the chair of the middle road, doesn't raise a, raise a fuss. It isn't radical. It blends in. It's comfortable. It doesn't cost too much. I can compromise and be happy. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to give my money. I can read the Bible when it feels good, when I have the time, which is not very often. I can give service to the church, but, you know, when it's convenient. George Barna, the statistician and pool taker for Christian, many Christian organizations, did a study. And he said, you know, when I look at the church today, I see a de decrease in attendance, a decrease in Bible reading, 
a decrease in service to the church. And we know from studies, definitely a decrease in giving from a compromised church. The allure of the second share is strong. It pulls us. But you know what I found out? The longer we sit in the second chair, the more compromised we become, we aren't ever really moving closer to the first chair. The more compromised in your life, you're never getting closer to the first chair. The more compromise we have in our lives, the more we say, yeah, God, but, or God, and, the closer we get to the third chair. There's the allure of the second chair, but there's also the danger of the second chair. The danger of the second chair. The danger of the second chair, for one, is having a life that is conflicted, much like a third chair. I'm serving God, I'm serving man, I'm serving money, I'm serving whatever. We don't have a focus in our life that draws us, that directs us, that leads us. There has to be a commitment or there's an ambivalence. There's a back and forth. There's a double-mindedness, the Bible calls it, that drives us insane. Which world am I in today? Am I in world one, world two? Because we can, and at times, I, I've sat in chair two. I know what it's like. And I, I know what it's get to, to get up to back up to chair one for a few minutes. Maybe, maybe we had a great service at church. Maybe I went to camp. Maybe I went to a revival. But then we slide back into chair two and we feel guilty and we wonder what's going on because, Lord, I'm serving myself. It's because we haven't made it personal. Our faith, my faith. God says, make it your faith. Make it yours. You know, take this for what it's worth. I I see cards that get written now and then, and I hear testimonies now and then. And it's a testimony time, and the testimonies are something, go along this line. This is a great church. I love the church. Or, at least when Pastor Kevin's speaking, it's a great sermon. I really like Pastor Kevin's sermons. The worship. Ah, I love your music. I love the band. Love the new songs. Or, hey, when I drove in this morning, that morning the parking lot greeters greeted me and the greeters greeted me and the guest services greeted me and the ushers greeted me. Friendly church. And I hear those. And I say, okay, but is it yours? Is this faith yours? Are you relying on somebody else's faith? Are you relying on a band? Are you relying on a preacher? Are you relying on some greeters? If so, I think you're sitting in the second chair. I think Lord's saying, okay, it's not the band, it's not the greeters, it's not the pastor, it's none of that. You need to sit yourself in the first chair and say, this is my faith. I will stand up and I will claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I will serve him. I will be surrendered. I am committed to him. That's the danger of the second chair. Second chair, we begin to rely on everybody else. And when something happens, Joshua dies. David's gone. We're stuck in a second chair. There's another danger then of the second chair. I don't know if you've noticed, but children of second chair people have a great chance of becoming a third chair sitter. 
We see that in the scriptures here. We see people that have failed to live out their faith. Parents, mothers, fathers, grandparents, leaders. They live out their faith in a second chair. They're compromising. Their kids know it. And they see a faith that's inconsistent. And they say, if that's what it's all about, I'm fine. I'm fine in this chair. I'm fine. I am so grateful for a granny and Aunt Elizabeth who stood and sat in that first chair. This is the Bicentennial, 1976. She was one of the queens for that year. Let me tell you, she took two of the boys, uh, the three girls and one other son, went with my grandpa, and she raised them. Today, of those two boys, and over these past years, my Uncle Kenny, his two daughters, this morning are serving on staff at Damascus Friends Church. They're on staff. My brother Bob was um, my right-hand man as I led worship for 20-some years. He was the screaming guitar player. He was the rocker. He was the guy that made me look good. He's serving God. My brother Gary was a missionary for a while in Thailand until he got cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, had to come home. We prayed. We saw a miracle in his life. Last, if you many of your men were down at the men's retreat last week, he's president of Men and Missions. He was chairman of the building committee at Damascus when we just, they just finished building the new sanctuary. He's an elder and a leader, first chair sitter. And I had the privilege of leading worship and directing and being part of that growing congregation for 20 years as a leader. And now the honor to serve here because of that woman. She laid a faith. She's a first chair sitter and she made sure mom and dad sat in that first chair. And she wasn't going to let her grandchildren not sit in that first chair, even though she wasn't really a grandmother. She was not a mother. See, you don't have to be a mother. You just have to be someone who's committed. You sit in that first chair, you're going to have an influence and an impact on people for their lives. So here's my question. What chair are you sitting in? What chair are you sitting in this morning? You know, the good news is, this is the principle, but it's not a hard and fast rule. Because if you had a parent who was here in two and three, you're not confined to this chair. You can make a jump today into this chair. And you can accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if you're in that chair. If you're in this chair number two and you say, I, I've just been conflicted. I've been compromised. I haven't been serving the Lord fully. I've been serving the Lord completely. I haven't surrendered everything to him. I'm not a servant. You can move from this chair to this chair. You know what Joshua said? In that, he didn't say, choose tomorrow who you will serve. He didn't say, when you get around to it, choose who you will serve. He said, choose this day who you will serve. And that's my challenge right now. Choose this day. This day. It's time to be a chair mover. It's time to sit in chair number one. 
You know, sometimes I wonder, even, even as I've been here, I, there's times I've been wondering, Lord, am I in chair one? Am I really there? I want to be a chair one sitter all the time, completely, wholly surrendered to you. God wants you to be a chair one sitter. Where do you sit today? Be a chair one sitter. Be a chair one sitter. Let's bow our heads. I just, I believe God's speaking this morning. These aren't original thoughts. Three chairs have been preached around the world. It's been preached because it's a powerful illustration. And it, it tells us that we need to be the men and the women, the mothers and the fathers, the grandparents that God has called us to be. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. We're not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to do two things. First of all, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if this morning you're making a commitment, this day, this day, to move into that first chair. In both this room and in the worship center, and, and we got pastors in the worship center. Seth is there. They can see the hands. I just, if you're chosen, if you said committed to be a first chair sitter today, would you raise your hand? Would you just let us know that you're, you're going to be a first chair sitter? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put those hands down. You know, I encourage you. There's a, there's a check mark. There's a box in the connect cards that says, one, either I made the commitment today to be a first chair sitter. I encourage you to check that before we collect them. Or there's a box on there that says, I'm going to pray for somebody specifically, a family member, a friend, to be a first chair sitter. I pray that you do that. Let us know. Let us know you're praying for someone. Let us know that you committed to be a first chair sitter. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, um, I confess to you, The temptation and the lure of that second chair sometimes is great. To fit in, to not stand out, to be just average. But Lord, I don't want to be that. I want to be a Joshua and I want to be a David. I want to be sold out and committed, fully surrendered to you. I want to be your man. Lord, I believe there's people here this morning who are praying, I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want to be your child for God. Lord, help us. Help us in our weaknesses to be strong. Help us in the temptation. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Lord, most of all, use us. Lord, this morning, I just want to offer myself. If you say jump, Lord, just tell me how high. Pour your spirit out upon us. Lord, help us quit living ordinary lives, average lives, contented lives. Lord, help us to be on fire for you. We give you praise. And we give you honor because of what you've done and you deserve you deserve our service you deserve our adoration you deserve our commitment 
You deserve our lives. We offer our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.